0: It's the Pitbox Podcast. I'm John Satori. Uh, Round 13 coming up this weekend. Emilia Romana Grand Prix. Of course, it used to be known as San Marino Grand Prix back in the day. Imola. Last time I was there was 2006. Uh, Great spot. Love going to Imola. Unfortunately, I won't be going there this year. We'll be taking a look at uh, this weekend's action. Of course, also what happened last weekend in Portimao. I thought it was a pretty decent Grand Prix, to be very honest. Um, A bit of... Variety, including someone new at the front that wasn't actually driving a silver car or a red and blue car. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it didn't last for Carlos Sainz. We're taking a look at that with James Underhay and also, uh, once again, chatting with Matt Summerfield about Red Bull and their engine options for next year and the whole Honda thing. All that is coming up on this episode of the Pitbox Podcast. Um, Did it disappoint? Was it a belter? Probably a bit of both, to be honest, because while it was undoubtedly an historical race uh, with Lewis Hamilton beating Michael Schumacher's race wins record, he's now got 92, some good battles throughout, um, and also, you know, even an unlikely race leader at one point, um, once that had passed and it all sort of settled down into its normal rhythm... Was it a a brilliant race? Uh, Probably not. Anyway, let's take a look at what happened and, of course, uh, what's been going on uh, over the last week or so, joined once again by James Underhay. Um, James, yeah, I mean, it was, of course, a record-breaking race win and another masterclass from Lewis, wasn't it?
1: Hi, John. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It was, um, you know, it was pretty outstanding, what I refer to as a real demolition of the field and, and and. You know, more specifically, Valtteri as well. Um, you know, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about the mental aspects of trying to beat Lewis, how difficult that is uh, for your teammate. But I thought this was a real statement, um, you know, to to run away with it as he did, 25-second lead at the end of the race uh, after the drama at the start was was pretty astonishing. So hats off.
0: And it's was, and got to be crushing um, for Valtteri Bottas as well, unfortunately, because he seems like such a lovely guy that – There's just almost nothing he can do. A pole position on the weekend um, misses it again by a tenth of a second. And at that point, he's just on the back foot. Yeah, I I
1: genuinely think in Valtteri's mind now, regardless of what he says publicly, he must be wondering, what on earth do I have to do? Um, We know the guy's quick. We know the guy's consistent. You know, he's a race winner now. Um, His performances at Williams all those years ago now were, were, were outstanding. But he just seems to have... You know, come up really against the uh, the immovable force in in Lewis, um, and it's it seems to be pretty crushing. You know, um, hmm. I, I don't I I feel for him, I really do.
0: And and uh, of course, he's got another year of it. He signed up uh, to next year at Mercedes, and he'd be crazy to go anywhere else. But of course, uh, still no signature on contract from Lewis, from what we've. Uh, what we understand although that'd be a fait complete. like you know where would he go why would he want to go anywhere else anyway but another year of it but yeah it, it was an absolute um, masterclass once again from Lewis who's a man who was at the peak of his powers of course uh, Max Verstappen another good result for him but he caught it all the uh the controversy and the the headlines for the wrong reasons as well with his little outburst about Lance Stroll and you know to be honest Lance Stroll uh, I don't know what your take on that was, but certainly I'm talking about what happened in the free practice on Friday. That mm. I, 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 that was Max's fault for mine. Lance Stroll didn't see him on the inside, didn't know he was there, um, and Max could have easily pulled out of that. Um, but then what he said afterwards, I can understand heat of the moment stuff. Yeah, get that. But not saying that sort of thing. Okay, swear, you know, curse, whatever you like. But calling people the names that he did, or calling Lance Stroll the names that he did, uh, yeah. Not for someone in his stature, you know, in the status that he has.
1: No, um, you know, probably the least said the better. I think it needs to be uh, quickly forgotten about, John. But um, you know, when you get down to, to those sorts of or that sort of level of, um, you know, uh, you know, comment re- regarding another driver, um, it's not a pre- uh, appropriate. It's not acceptable uh, in this day and age. And I think he will... Uh, I would hope have had a bit of a slap on the wrist about it behind the scenes because, um, you know, as you say, heat the moment, that's going to get anyone at any time. Um, and that's, to a certain extent, very acceptable, very understanding. But when you take it down to that sort of level, it's, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty poor form, I thought.
0: Yeah, it's um, silly, as you, as you say, for someone of his standing and where, you know, role model, all that sort of thing, it's just silly um you know he's a great driver there's no doubt but yeah that was crazy stuff and i hope that uh something more is said by him in essentially to uh to make up for that but Look, i mean there was the, sorry you were gonna go yep
1: yeah i was just gonna say i mean that that petulant side of max hasn't been seen for a little while mm. you know um so if anything it was just a, a bit disappointing it's you know max have you really made the changes to yourself your attitude your The responsibility you carry as a role model, not just to, you know, racing fans, but kids and this and that. We haven't seen that from him for a little while. So I'm hoping it was a blip. Um, You know, just thought I'd mention that. I'm hoping it was a blip because he's, over the course of the past few months, he's shown much more maturity in terms of the way he's driven. He's not been involved in as many scrapes on track. I think you're right. I think he could have pulled out of this one. Um, it's all very well saying that he should have seen me, but the reality is why do you need to be forcing that move during FP1? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: just ridiculous in the first place because it could have ended a lot worse than it did as well. Uh, and then obviously you factor in his comments afterwards and you think, come on, Max, don't slip back into that behaviour. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: And, of course, the thing is that well, we're talking about Lance Stroll, he did do something rather stupid during the race because the exact same thing that he uh, did with Max Verstappen, he did to uh, Lando Norris. And, of course, he knew Norris was there, didn't leave it a space, as I remember Sebastian Vettel quite uh, comically saying in one of those press conferences, drivers' press conferences years ago, um, quoting uh, Fernando Alonso, I think he was sitting right beside him, saying, you've got to leave it to space. And it's true. And yet, <laughs> Lance Stroll didn't do that. And he knew that Norris was there and he still closed the door. Well, he definitely knew he was there this time because he was coming around the outside of him. Yeah. It
1: wasn't that he was being, he wasn't being attacked, was he? So, uh, yeah, look, I um, Lance still has a lot to learn. I think, um, you know, the jury is out as to whether he's the real deal. I think, you know, there's, we, we know the stories about obviously daddy owning the team, etc. Um, I think that must be pretty tough ultimately to overcome, but his drives this year have been better. Let's be honest. He's been uh, performing a lot better. He's been genuinely quick at times. Um, and, uh, you know, he's shown that maybe he does deserve that seat, but let's, Let's just let's just wind it back a little bit calm it down the the hero moves you've got to be absolutely sure that you've got the space to make that work especially when you're you know, going into a, a turn at that sort of speed as well because you can very, very quickly cause a massive incident. So, um, yeah, interesting double sort of uh, escapade for Lance over the
0: weekend. Um, you know, it's he didn't do himself any favours, put it that way. No, I do wonder whether or not next year, well, if Portimao goes back on next year, um, whether or not they would actually tighten up that corner and uh, use the um – uh, the layout that uh, yeah. it was a, that tight right hander, and then the, the sort of almost like the loop. I, I could sort of see that being a better way of encouraging overtaking down into turn one, because unless you got past um, your opposition way ahead of that in the DRS zone, you weren't going to make a, an outbreaking moment. So, um, but there yeah. was there was some good um, result. I mean, Charles Leclerc, that is an incredible drive for a guy who's driving in what the fifth fastest car and 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 it wasn't like lucking in at the race because obviously he'd done a really good job in qualifying as well uh he's a guy who's outperforming the car in a big way
1: well that's outrageous isn't it really we've we've mentioned it a couple of times recently i know you've given me a bit of stick about it john but um (laughs) you know the 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 drive in quali was outrageous that was really what caught my eye actually because um you know there's there's so much more variable over race distance obviously the his race was incredible but the, the quali drive in particular, I thought, was ridiculous. To, to, to stick it forth uh, in in, in quali was out, absolutely outstanding. Um, he's obviously gone a long way. Well, I don't think he needed to consolidate it now that uh, Seb is on his way, but he's gone a long way to consolidating his clear number one status within the team. Um, it actually caused Seb to uh, very, very uh, politely suggest that uh, they may <laughs> not necessarily be on a, a slightly level playing field in terms of whose cars quicker uh, and that statement naturally uh was was quickly refuted by uh Matteo Benotto the team boss but um yeah what a drive uh, he even dropped down to eighth actually at the start of the race given the tyre issues etc um with the tricky conditions um and still fought his way back to fourth so uh yeah fabulous very pleased obviously from Ferrari's point of view uh, and um the the kid's got it let's be honest he's, he's a potential world champion Um, For sure. And I'm I'm excited. I just hope they can sort this situation out for maybe next year. Obviously, we talked about development last week. The year after really would, would love to see a Charles kind of assault on the championship.
0: And the the future uh, battles between Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and the likes of you know Lando Norris uh, you know that and George Russell you have got to put him in there as well and, and Pierre Gasly uh, you know the state of um, the healthy state of F one moving forward is um, mm. is looking quite good. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It just begs begs you know for for these kind of
1: uh, regulation changes for twenty two to really even the field up because every race that has been massively exciting this year there has had to have been a really uh, extreme external event to create that drama um you know whether it be the lewis situation in monza the lewis pit lane stuff obviously in russia there's just there's been big things that have created those you know like the perfect storm always to create this incredible race and what you need to be seeing is that happening week in, week out with four or five different drivers of immense talent having a chance of the win? Um, you know, that the one that we all got really excited about this week, clearly, was the Carlos Sainz start mm. uh, in, in terms of where he started seventh. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, he's got some heat into those soft tyres. The Mercs were... Uh, obviously on, on mediums, not getting any heat into the tyre. And all of a sudden, Carlos is overtaking and leading the Portuguese Grand Prix. So we need that. We need that more. We need that more because these drivers, these guys are better than they're being allowed to show at the moment, I think, with the difference in performance.
0: And, you know, Pierre Gasly, he did a great job with fifth in the Alpha Tori. Um, You know, Esteban Ocon, uh, got ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, I think, for the first mm. time, or maybe maybe not the first time, but it hasn't happened often this season. Um, he got uh, eighth over ninth where Daniel Ricciardo was. I mean, Seb did get into the top 10, which is great considering where he started because he started down in 14th or 15th, didn't he? It was something like yeah, that. Yeah, he started 15th.
1: Yeah, no, he started 15th and, and finished 10th. Um, so I guess you've got to call that some success. But, um, yeah, it's dead. A driver of his caliber and his uh, his his pedigree, his CV, he's not really wanting to to fight his way through the you know uh, three quarters of the way down the field back up to tenth uh, during a race. I think for me, the quicker this season is over for Seb, and the quicker he pulls those likely British racing green Aston Martin overalls on, the better.
0: (laughs) Now, uh, the other. Uh, person i wanted to talk about um was alexander albon now we did this in our slipstream show we um it, it, he's got what another one maybe two races that we're now hearing it could be turkey um when christian horner and dr Helmut marco may make a decision as to what they're going to do next year and of course there is the uh the chat and the rumor that uh, helmet marco was saying they might look outside the red bull stable which i can understand and i think we've talked about this before as well that they they're lucky that they're only running sort of second in the championship with no real threat by anybody else. Because if they were having a threat if there was a threat there, Albon I think would be out on his tail already and they would have somebody else in there because he's just not doing it. I mean, he he qualified inside the top ten and he ends up down in twelfth. Yeah. Um,
1: no progress. No progress no. whatsoever in the race, really. And he's again um, he's yeah, a not, nice nothing. young
0: kid, but like you gotta you know you you gotta you gotta show what you what you've got and he's and and particularly when max is doing the job and gets you know regularly p three and, and has pretty much got a mortgage on the um th- you know third uh, second row grid slot in p three as well from the start of the race you've gotta say what is happening with alexander rob we know he's just not getting to grips with that car, but do you think would they go with someone like Perez or Nico Hulkenberg maybe I threw into the, my I threw this one into the ring Kevin Magnussen can you imagine Kevin Magnussen going head to head with Max Verstappen at Red Bull it's probably not going to happen but just have a think about that for a second
1: Yeah I mean that kind of that kind of blows up in my mind a little bit those two <laughs> uh, in the same team I'm not I don't know if that's going to create more more drama than it's worth for the team but uh, and, well, if it did, what a turnaround for <laughs> K-Mag, given his situation at the moment. Um, but they're both
0: fiery uh, characters, I, you know what I mean? You look at how yeah. Magnuson and, and, you know, do you remember a couple of years ago he just sort of uh, on Nico Hulkenberg, he came up behind Nico Hulkenberg. Uh, oh, no, Hulkenberg came up behind him in the middle of his press conference. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember it the it con- wasn't pleasant, was it? No, that's right. Kevin, Mag- Kevin Magnuson doesn't take a backward step. And as I say, I don't think it's likely to happen, but can you imagine? That'd be brilliant. Yeah, it's pretty juicy, isn't it? Um, um, We all like a bit of that. We all like a bit of that. But
1: yeah, honestly, I can't see it happening. I know it's been mentioned this week, but I can't see that happening. I think um, I I do sadly feel that you're bang on with with Alex's situation. Um, You know, it's a bit of a statement here. Uh, I, I think his time at Red Bull is very, very close
0: to being over. I think this decision could be even more imminent than we, we might be suggesting. Um, because, that, that, well, that's the thing, is that, I mean, if, the, if, they, if Red Bull are going to try and get themselves some IP from Honda, then surely to sweeten that deal, they'll put Yuki yeah. Tsunoda in it, um, AlphaTauri, and that means if they are getting, you know, if Alex Albon, if they're going to replace him, they've got nowhere to put him, have they? And, and it means that he could all of a sudden just drop out. I mean, that's a huge turnaround considering where he was this time last year
1: it is it is um you know the 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 move that he he made up to the big team so to speak in red bull was obviously met with um i, I guess an equal amount of shock and uh, joy um you know he he done pretty well where he was but it was it was the decision was being made more about gasly being demoted than alex albon being promoted i think at the time um and i mm. I, I i feel for him in the sense that um you know he was thrust into the spotlight pretty quickly was he ready for that drive no one's ever going to turn it down obviously you know if if lando got offered a seat at mercedes or if george russell got offered a seat at mercedes now um yeah none of neither of those guys would turn that sort of opportunity down i'm sure but uh, in alex's case i feel like he's a little bit softer around the edges than those guys not quite as hard uh skinned and um and I don't think that's really played into his hands. A couple more seasons in a midfield team where he shines where he probably shouldn't from time to time, get some decent points on the board, you know, really familiarizes himself with that uh, F1 paddock and the whole circus uh, as it travels around the world. It's not an easy world to be part of. Um, you know, you've know, you got to be a tough little guy. And I'm not sure Alex is, sadly. Um, well, it's difficult so, when
0: you're against Max Verstappen. Yeah, of course. Yeah, against, Max is, you know, Max is brutal. <laughs> on, on, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah and he's you know so, so typically dutch i mean on the track he takes no prisoners and off the circuit as we heard with his remarks he takes no prisoners and i'm not condoning what he said recently but you know what i mean is that he calls a spade a spade it's typically dutch
1: yeah it is very blunt very to the point you know there's no gray areas with max obviously and <laughs> uh that's great sometimes but not so uh great in other other moments as he showed uh in fp1 but um You know, he's never going to be that teammate that puts an arm around you and goes, come on, buddy, you know, you're quicker than this. I'm going to help you out here. Not because, uh, you know, I don't think there's many drivers that would do that, but there are guys that would still be sympathetic to Alex's situation at the moment. And I would say out of the majority of the grid, Max is probably the last person you want if you're struggling because he doesn't, you know, I don't think he thinks that much about the team. I think Max thinks about himself. um, And that means I genuinely don't care what is going on on the other side of the garage i want to go out there i want to perform i want as much backing behind me and support from the team as i can physically get and he wants to crush the opponent whether that be his teammate or someone else on the grid so um it, it just feels like you know things have the way things have developed it's really snowballed quickly for alex albon and i'm not sure he's going to have a seat for that much longer as we've said um where does he go it's a great question
0: um, I mean, the only other way they can do it is if they did decide to replace him this year, which I don't think there's any real need to, because again, they're you know they're safe. They're safe in second, but you know, do they go with someone like Hulkenberg, which I think is probably the most likely scenario? They'd go with Hulkenberg, but next year they say, okay, we're going to bring Gasly back up, and then Albon goes back into um, AlphaTauri, and they've then got uh, Yuki Tsunoda, and they keep everybody happy. But mm. that means that Hulkenberg doesn't get a seat for next year, which could happen. I mean, you know, in essence. Christian Horner and Helmut Marko can be saying to Nico Hulkenberg, right, you know, you've got a seat for the rest of this year if this did happen. Um, up to you to perform and to show us that actually you deserve to be here and there's no need to bring up Gasly as yet. Because Gasly's still got years on him. Although I, I get the feeling of being French, at some point he's going to be driving for Alpine, which is obviously the current Renault team. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that a few weeks ago and I think it's a great, a great point. It'd be a lovely time for
1: them if they come on to form, uh, to championship-winning form, or at least challenging form. Uh, it be a very, very uh, sexy opportunity for Gasly, obviously, and it'd be a great PR move for Renault Alpine, um, or Alpine as they will be known. So, um, yeah, if Hulkenberg gets that offer, I think he's going to take it, even if he knows there's no guarantee of a seat next year because he'd be a fool not to. Um, I think he has the ability and the consistency to show that actually he probably does deserve that seat, and that reverts back to... What you've said recently about having someone in that seat that can consistently score points week in, week out doesn't necessarily mean you have to challenge for the championship. But if you can get points and put points on the board for the team, keep the sponsors happy, you know, all of that stuff, then he most likely is the man for that seat.
0: Now, talking of seats, we obviously, after um, our podcast last week, as you've said, we've sort of correctly predicted what was happening with the driver's market. It was going to explode. Um, Mm. Haas made their announcement. Now go Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. I can understand Grosjean. I'm not so sure about Kevin. Um, (laughs) But, of course, who goes in there? It's looking now like it may be actually two rookies in Schumacher and Schwarzman, uh, from what I've heard, and then it might be Giovinazzi and um, Kimi Raikkonen, who stay at Alpha because yeah. you know, Giovannazzi a Ferrari driver, Academy um, driver anyway. So, you know, it's a big thing to all of a sudden say, we drop you, although they've got a glutton of riches at the moment with their young drivers, uh, where other 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 teams don't, uh, i.e. Red Bull and even Mercedes, apart from George Russell, of course.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They Ferrari really are spoilt with the talent they have coming through at the moment. I guess it's a nice problem to have.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I would say that, I would be really disappointed not to see Mick alongside Kimmy. We've talked about it a lot recently. I think that would be a, a really beautiful home for him. I think Kimmy would be a great mentor to him. Um but you know, just coming back to the Haas thing, um, you know, Haas made it clear that these driver decisions were financial. Um, I, I find that quite interesting. But now the chances are that I think they will very have very much two rookies in that uh, in those seats. And um for Ferrari to have more than one team effectively then having Ferrari young driver program drivers at the wheel, it gives them an opportunity to really assess who potentially could make the step up to the next level um, at some point in the not-too-distant future as well. So, and ha-
0: have you heard the rumour that it may not actually be two Ferrari rookies? It might be one being Mick Schumacher and the other one being Nikita Mazepin because his dad is looking at buying into the team or buying the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, that was something I picked up on last week. I think
0: we talked briefly about it, didn't mm. we? That they, him and
1: uh, his father and Gunter Steiner were in a pretty deep conversation, and he's got yeah. plenty of money. So uh, yeah, look, it's it's. I like this kind of time of year. Um, you know, in terms of that driver merry go round, it's quite fun, and I think this year. Uh, I think it's provided quite a lot of entertainment so far, and there's a few shocks to come.
0: Well, this this is our third round of it, and of course, it's not over yet because then there's all the rumours about George Russell leaving, potentially not having a seat at Williams next year because uh, Checo Perez may bring his sponsorship money into Williams, and I can I can definitely see that happening. And depending on who you believe, there's uh, one person out there who thinks it's it's pretty much going to happen, um, and I can see that happening. I think it'd be good to keep Perez in there, but of course, it's going to have to be. Long-term project for him, isn't it? Because he's not going to get much. He's not going to get anywhere in that Williams next year. They can't uh, change that in a huge way to be, you know, a midfield team. But really, banking on what can happen in 2021. But if not, you know, I can see Checo going over to the states and doing IndyCar. Yep, yep. Covered
1: that a few times now. I think mm. um, that w- the, the appeal from Williams's point of view to have Checo there is obviously that fat checkbook and a and a real nailed-on performer. In Checo, uh, obviously, with the teams restructuring, the refinancing, etc., all of that stuff that's gone on recently, they would be very, very happy to accept uh, Checo into the team, uh, knowing that he can score points, but also knowing he can put a lot of money in the bank as well, uh, which will no doubt help them out uh, no end uh, moving forward in terms of development and the people that they can potentially hire to come and turn that team around. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, George Russell's situation. Toto has said, I believe today, maybe yesterday, correct me if I'm wrong, but today or yesterday, he absolutely feels that George Russell will be on the grid next year. So there's a there's a lot to come from that story, I think Um, there would be a lot of injustice in George not having a seat next year. Um, but, 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 it's just an Ocon,
0: but it's just an Ocon situation though, isn't it? You know what I mean? Is He just has a sabbatical. Because you can definitely see the results that he's getting and particularly look at what he did on the weekend, both in qualifying. He And I think it's been seven times he's got into Q3 so far this season. It's not like he doesn't have a future. And he's young enough, like Ocon was, to be able to take that sabbatical and come back in either next year or, um, you know what I mean, sorry, the year after with, will you, uh, with, say, someone like Mercedes because Bottas is finally, you know, um, had enough or they've had enough of Bottas or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? I, I can still see that happening. I don't think it's the last time we'd see uh, George no. Russell in an F1. No, 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 no. Um, no,
1: John, there's no way it will be the last time we see George Russell. Mm. He's too he's too good. He's too quick. Yeah. He's too talented. Um, and look, you know, behind the scenes, if they say to him, look, we're going to give you uh, our reserve driver status for 2021, and as much as it's going to be painful to sit out and watch all your pals continue like mm. Lando, et cetera, um, that we have, you know, there's a pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Sit tight, and we will make sure you are sorted for 22. Then he's going to grit his teeth and just get on with it, isn't he? I think.
0: Yeah, I, I, I just think that's yeah. I can see that again. I can see that happening. Um, and it makes sense for Williams, I think, more because of I you think, know from what I understand, he brings a good 10 or 11 million. Um, I could be wrong, but if the you know the engines are costing that much every year, then. You know that's them paid for. Whereas I'm pretty sure that the money that Mercedes give Williams for running George is probably two million, and they pay George's salary, something like mm. that. You know what I mean? So it's it just the balances. You know, you just got to balance it all out and you think, okay, well, we're better to go that way. But um, just quickly, because um, I'm, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you about Imola this weekend. Um, have you ever been to Imola?
1: I have not. It's one place on my list that I am desperate to go to and haven't managed to get there. I've been to Monza. Um, you know, for me, Imola obviously holds. It's particularly emotive, isn't it, Imola? For many reasons, mm-hmm. um, there's been a lot of you know uh, incredible races there over the years. Um, very sad to, to, to not see it as a, a regular feature on the calendar these days. But um, if you look at what's happened there over the years, obviously with certain events, including uh, you know the, the obvious one that springs to most, most F1 fans' mind is the uh, the death event in center, obviously. Um, uh, but th- but th- there's been a, there's been all sorts going on there, and I will visit one day purely to you know f- for, to visit that. Um, that site where where it all happened and see his statue, etc. Because for me, uh, he was my personal F1 hero. But I, I think it's going to be great to see the cars back there this weekend, John.
0: It is, and it is a fantastic circuit. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to go to it um, for about three or four years. I think my first year was 2002 and my last year was 2006. Um, and it is, it's a, it's a, a lovely circuit. But um, yeah, and of course it's a two-day weekend as well. So that's just that 90-minute session uh, on Saturday morning to be able to get the... Uh, the cars and the, the, the data on the ties is going to be the most interesting mm. thing. But then again, it's a bit like what happened with the Eiffel Grand Prix, although they had some historical data there. But, uh, no, it's going to be interesting. Um, but, yeah, James, look, mate, thank you very much for that. Um, once again, always good to chat and chat F1 with you, mate.
1: Absolutely. Always enjoy it, John. Uh, looking forward to reviewing Imola next week.
0: Now, talking of Red Bull, obviously, they've also been in the spotlight because Honda made that big announcement recently that they're pulling out of the sport. No one was expecting that after they'd just come back into it in 2015. What's the best solution for Red Bull? I mean, we do know that they're saying, well, now we'd like to be able to buy the Honda IP and run our own engines, but as long as the regulations, as far as the engine development is concerned in 2022, get uh, locked down very early... You know, that
2: does seem to be the best. I I think that's quite a a decent um, solution, really, isn't it? Well, I think it's probably the best solution in terms of continuity for Red Bull, Mm. uh, because they will then be continuing to design their car based around a philosophy that they've come to understand. If they suddenly have to sidestep back to the Renault, which is obviously where they would end up if this doesn't go ahead, then they're going to have to design their car slightly differently again uh, in order to accommodate a, a different style of power unit.
0: But that's possible um, because Mercedes, uh, you know, Mer- uh, McLaren are doing that with the Merc. I mean it is possible, it's not great though obviously, it's not ideal.
2: Yeah, no, it obviously expends resources mm. because you're you're having to change things that you wouldn't ordinarily want to change in order to get the kind of performance that's necessary from a switch from one power unit to the next. So yeah, the the there are some benefits in some respects from switching from one power unit manufacturer to another, which is why we're seeing uh, McLaren perhaps run the Mercedes power unit next year rather than the Renault. But on the other hand, it does cost you in terms of potential resources and where you put those resources. At the end of the day, if you're spending it on changing things to do with the power unit, you can't spend that money or resource on another avenue of the car that might be getting you more performance. Yep,
0: And we were talking um, off air as well about Honda and the fact that they seem to duck in, duck out, duck in, duck out of F1. Um, and it, it's sort of become a little bit of the norm for them,
2: hasn't it? Yeah, and it's really surprising, isn't it? Because they always tend to dip out at just the wrong time. You know, they dipped out in 2009 when they'd got this huge potential to to maybe kick on and, and win the World Championship as Braun effectively did when they left. Um, which we will never know would they have done that had there not been a Mercedes engine in the back of the right. Braun. But, you know, they're doing the same again now. They're winning races with Red Bull and suddenly they're walking away from the sport again. Um which is understandable in an economic sort of point of view and obviously in terms of the way in which that they want to present themselves as a corporate entity. But from my understanding of how Honda operates, they never truly walk away from the sport anyway. They've always got a research and development program running in the background. So it's it's uh, just
0: like running parallel while F1, outside of F1 while it's running. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, they don't obviously spend the amount of resource they do when they're inside the sport, but they will always continue to keep an eye and a a certain amount of you know, resources spent in understanding what's going on so that if they do decide to come back, they're not just walking in blindly. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's a lot of money to be spending on something that you may not necessarily use. Yeah, but it, it may also have offshoots as well because, you know, any research that you're doing in an automotive field yeah. might then pass down or trickle down to your um, your main role as a as an automotive manufacturer, just as it might do into their other motorsport categories. You know, we have to remember that they mm-hmm. they're still in other categories as well. Uh, they might not be joined up in terms of how they operate, but that's not to say that they can't then share that information. Uh, between themselves. I mean,
0: as far as you're aware, are there any other teams
2: that do something similar or to the same degree? No, because there's not really anybody else in the sport that operates in that kind of realm. You know, perhaps somebody like BMW might keep their eye in, or or Toyota, but I certainly don't think anybody does it to the level that I understand Honda uh, have done in the past. So, yeah. It's it's amazing to think that that's
0: what they do but as you say I, you know if if and they are quite involved in obviously motorsport over in um in Japan it's it's its own entity as well so maybe it does make a lot of sense it's just something that is a little bit revealing when you first hear it <laughs> you think wow um yeah. you know but yeah so Red Bull essentially this is the best option for them even though i mean the Renault engine has picked up it's it's certainly been i mean up until the last couple of races has been pretty reliable and pretty powerful it's it's done
2: really well they've made some big steps this year haven't they Renault yeah, I mean, everybody is sort of getting towards more of a level footing. Mm. Uh, obviously, Ferrari having taken a step back because of what was done last year to them in terms of you know, the the statement that was released by the FIA. <laughs> You're um, being very the, careful the there, Matt. <laughs> yeah, the, the non-statement, shall we put it. Um, but yeah, I do think that there's more of a parity involved. Yeah. I think that the, one of the underlying factors that people don't perhaps get to understand though is the role that the fuel and lubricants play in the performance arena with these power unit manufacturers and the fact that Ferrari have been pegged back will have hindered that process as well um, because of the way that they kind of work with one another and from this season the uh, fuels and lubricants have actually had to be uh, given across as more of a sample to the FIA than they ever have before, as well, uh, and they're sort of locked in. So, and was that that was a direct result? I think of what happened with Ferrari. That, in, that it, w- it was, yeah. yes, yeah. So yeah. they kind of shot themselves in the foot and then walked away and shot themselves in the <laughs> other foot. Um, <laughs> sounding like the three amigos. Yes. But yeah, I think there's, there's a lot going on with the power units, not just the power units themselves. There's a lot of other things that you have to consider with with ancillary uh, partners that get involved with the development of these things that can have an impact on the performance, the durability, etc. cetera, of, of the power units. Um, it's sort of a shame that this wasn't done right from
0: the start when the hybrid era came in. I can sort of understand why it wouldn't, but... Because we really just want parity on that engine side of it, or or close to, but there's never really been that, apart from when, what we're getting to now, um, and it's a shame that it's taken so long. Because to keep and enu- um, you know engine manufacturers in F one, um, they all want to be competitive. They all want to have their own you know research and R and D to use in other parts of their business. But it's taken so long to get there, and and we're now finally there. Why couldn't they have just gone right? This is what we're going to do, and everybody hits that target.
2: I think the problem that you have there is that there was a a type of construction to deal with this scenario that was chucked away very quickly. We did have a a token system in place uh, for the power units and everybody just believed it to be too convoluted to be able to actually work. But the token system itself wasn't a bad idea. It was just poorly implemented. And that is the crux of why we've ended up in this situation, because by now the power units pretty much would be locked down under the token system. That's not to say that, you know, the likes of Honda that coming in wouldn't be in a position where it would have ha- harmed their progress. But the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, who've been there from the start, would have found themselves in a situation where they couldn't continue to make development uh, forward. And we wouldn't perhaps have seen this sort of the, the scales just gone through the roof from where we started to, to where we are now. Um and I think there's, there's several factors involved there. The first one being the the big start that Mercedes had on everybody because obviously their power unit was by, mm. by and large so far ahead of everybody. It was unbelievable. Um, and then obviously you have Honda entering the sport off the back of coming in with McLaren. And that kind of changed everybody's approach to the token system. And you know that, that got lost in the mix because of the scenarios unfolding. Uh, I think perhaps it could have been a case of it sticking around but being adjusted would have been the better solution and then we would be ending up in this situation we're in now where we you know would have got to parity much quicker
0: yeah, because it was really difficult for Honda to come in. I mean, okay, we obviously know from what you've said is that they run a, a program in parallel with F1, but these are much more complicated beasts, the hybrid V6s. But I remember that, you know, with all the tokens, you've got to spend this, to- no, you can only spend X amount of tokens in a season. And that really hampered um, Honda, and it no doubt would have prevented a lot of other manufacturers, and not a lot of, there's a lot out there, but other manufacturers from wanting to come
2: in, looking at what Honda was going through. Well, I think the biggest problem there was is that the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari and Renault didn't have to worry about the token system when Mm. they entered in 2014. They'd done all of their development and research and then the token system comes into place. And the problem for Honda is that they entered with a token system in place. So they've kind of already got a, a problem where they're probably two or three years behind the development arc that, the, the other teams or manufacturers had, uh, and then all of a sudden they're under restrictions as well. So it was like a double whammy in, a, in effect, and that's why I think Honda really struggled to begin with.
0: But you know, they've done a great job. You've got to say, I mean, okay, those first three years were very, uh, very painful with McLaren because there was so much expectation, what with you know the history of the the, the partnership. But um, they once they'd sort of left McLaren for whatever reason, I mean, I've heard that. In the, the restrictions McLaren were putting on them as far as how big the engine could be and where they could play certain parts played a role, whereas uh, Red Bull had a different approach to that as far as how to integrate the engine into the Red Bull chassis.
2: Yeah, I mean, they got off to a poor footing, didn't they? Because they, they ended up in a relationship where it was kind of a, a forced marriage, let's say. Mm. You know, McLaren were without a power unit and they needed somebody and decided to tap up their old flame. And it didn't really work <laughs> out for them, unfortunately. However, when the partnership arrived between Honda and Alpha Tauri, which it was then Toro Rosso, it was like uh, something brand new for them, I think, like a new relationship. Um, because the Alpha Tauri boys were basically letting them make decisions. Mm. Uh, like, unfortunately, like you just just mentioned, McLaren were very restrictive in the way in which that they wanted things to work with the Honda power unit. And that meant that there were certain parameters of the power unit that perhaps weren't the way in which that Honda would have designed them had they had a blank slate. And I think what's happened with the relationship with Honda and Red Bull technology is that it's a partnership once more. So they're sharing ideas. And I think it's, again, underreported the amount of impact that perhaps Red Bull have had in terms of the amount of money and resource that they've thrown at the project itself and that's perhaps why Honda are happy to Mm. help with a transition period between the two of them
0: I mean, and does it open up, sorry, final question, because I know we're, we're running out of time. Final question, I mean, does that open up more possibilities for others to do this sort of independent um, engine, if you like, and, and come into F1, you know, like the likes of, I mean, I'm not saying it would be Cosworth, but that sort of scenario when set up where it's just a matter of getting the IP as long as you've got um, the IP to buy and someone's willing to sell it to you,
2: you know, is that more, that's surely going to be more possible now. I think that there's still a long way to go in that respect. Effectively, what you would need in that scenario is for there to be more specification within the formula. So you would need somebody to come up with a a one-make design effectively. And I know Mercedes have talked about this in the past in terms of supplying just the ICE components or supplying a turbo or so on and so forth. But that inherently is what is very interesting from a manufacturer point of view of being in a sport that has such open regulations is that you can be yourself you can express yourself in very different ways so if you try to encourage a specification style series do you then lose the uh, the R&D and DNA of bringing in manufacturers or do they start to lose interest and and I think that's where the fine balance in Formula One always lies, is that it is an engineering spectacle alongside a sporting spectacle.
0: Yeah, and as you say, that's it's a very difficult line to walk for the uh, for the rulemakers. Matt, thank you very much for your time. Um, I've probably taken up too much of it, but uh, my fantastic insight, and look forward to talking to you again soon. So it's round 13 of the 2020 World Championship, and I suppose one of the great things to come out of 2020, and there hasn't been too many, to be honest, considering everything that's going on with corona, is that we are heading back to Imola, what was the San Marino Grand Prix. Uh, This time around, it's called the Emilia-Romana Grand Prix. I hope I've said that correct. Apologies to any Italian speakers. I've got an Italian surname, I know, but unfortunately that was a few generations ago. But um, either way, we're heading back to a a circuit that is... uh, is very well-liked and was always very well-liked among F1 drivers um, because of its layout. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but of course, nowadays, it's got um, a, a lot of history involved with it because that's where we lost, Ayrton Senna. And I'm not, I don't know about you. I mean, there was there's moments in time that you remember where you were, were uh, when certain big announcements were made. And unfortunately, it, it often tends to be around the times of, of losing uh, and hearing about the death of someone famous. Uh, Princess Diana, I'll always remember where I was when that happened. Um, even Elvis Presley, uh, and I was must have been like all of, what, eight years old. But the other one was, and even though I wasn't a, a huge F1 fan, it was on at the wrong time of the uh, the night for me to be watching F1. Um, and uh, because I was in Australia in those days, I was doing a breakfast show and I remember the five o'clock bulletin i just got into the uh, radio station uh, 10 minutes beforehand was listening to the five o'clock bulletin prepping my show when that news came through. It was huge. Um, and as I say, I wasn't a, a big F1 fan, but I just always remember exactly where I was on that day. And uh, we lost uh, one of the greats and of course it's always argued the greatest. Let's not even get into that. But um great to be going back to this circuit. It is um steeped in history. Of course, it's uh, named after uh, uh the young uh, uh, son of Enzo Ferrari. And it's a fantastic circuit to drive as well. It's going to be a real good challenge. It's going to be interesting to see how much overtaking we actually get here. Um it's a very fast circuit. It, it, It's not a particularly demanding circuit on tyres, for example. I think uh, from what Pirelli have announced, they're bringing the uh, three tyres from the middle range um, from the set of five. So it's the C2s, 3s and 4s. And the track characteristics that they've um, publicised have sort of said that it's it's not a particularly uh, huge lateral load on tyres here. The tyre stress is rated at about three as well. Um, But it's uh, still going to be interesting because we don't know We don't have any recent data on this. Last time we were there was 2006. Michael Schumacher was on pole. He won the race from Fernando Alonso. And, of course, it was Alonso in 2006 who ended up with his second world championship. But we don't know what's going to happen because we have very little data, much like it was in Portimao. Um, And what data the teams do have is not particularly relevant, I don't think. Uh, And the other thing is that, and this is what's going to be really interesting, is that it's going to be a two-day weekend. As we know, it's just the one 90-minute session Saturday morning because the teams have only just arrived from Portimao, 29-hour drive to get from the bottom of Portugal up into uh, the uh, uh, region around Bologna. And so it was decided a long time ago that it was only going to be a two-day event. So just the 90-minute practice session on the Saturday morning, I think they get an extra 30 minutes On Saturday between free practice uh, one and qualifying in the afternoon, and then it's um, down to business. So that's going to make it really interesting and I think really exciting because if you cut down that preparation time, and particularly at a circuit where no one has any historical data anyway, uh, it's going to even things out. I mean, to a degree, I'm sorry, we always know that Mercedes are pretty much going to win this race. There's, you know, that's been happening since 2014, since the hybrid era. That part of it, I suppose, won't change unless there's something um, unusual that happens. Uh, but it, it's nice that in the amongst the rest of the field, in the midfield, there's still that battle between McLaren, Racing Point, Renault. It's a really nice, tight battle there. Ferrari maybe now starting to, to join that pack and make it a, a four-way fight. Um, but those teams won't have much to draw on. Um, And, uh, you know, that's going to make it a lot more exciting and a lot closer racing for those in that midfield. And you've sort of got, you know, the two mercs out the front, Max Verstappen, and and then that's pretty much it. Even, you know, I think we've been talking about Alex Albon. Uh, It's, you know, going to be difficult for him. There, There are two drivers in the field that have won races here in junior formula. Of course, uh, one driver in the field has driven there before. That is Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, and some of the other younger drivers in particular have driven around here in the Junior Formulas, Lando Norris being one of them. I think Max Max Verstappen's actually won here. But either way, a few of them have got a little bit of knowledge. We know that um, uh, Danny Kvyat drove the Alfa Tori here. Or was it uh, Pierre Gasly? Anyway, one of the Alfa drivers did their pre-season filming day, I think, around uh, the San Marino circuit. So, uh, and And they were just absolutely raving about it. So... It is. It's going to be an absolutely uh, brilliant couple of days, and uh, to be going back to Imola, it's uh, an anti-clockwise circuit. Last corner is opposite to the first. It's rather unique in that way. There's only three on the calendar where the first corner is uh, is of a different angle to the last. Um, they are Spa, Abu Dhabi. And now Imola, of course, um, Spars doesn't really make too much of a difference when it comes to uh, uh, clean and dirty sides of the grid. Abu Dhabi does make a difference when you come out of the right-hander at Abu Dhabi and you've got the left-hander coming up at turn one. You're actually heading across to the right-hand side of the circuit. So actually, P1's not a huge advantage grip-wise when it comes to Abu Dhabi, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not that's the same here. Remember, you've got the final right-hand chicane It's a left-right chicane to get back onto the main straight here at Imola. And then it's a very slight left-hander, which is your first sort of turn one. And, of course, you want to be on the right-hand side of the circuit. It just depends on at what point along that main straight uh, the racing line will take you through the grid slots. Will you still be across to the left or will it be across to the right? And, um, of course, the advantage is always supposed to be P1. You've got more grip there. Uh But whether or not that's going to be the case, we'll have to wait and see because I'm not quite sure i haven't seen anything and anything i've looked at can't i can't identify whether or not the um grid slots are on the left or right hand side of the circuit so but anyway um yeah, it's going to be a very interesting weekend. Ten sets of tyres, two hards, two mediums, six softs. As I said, that middle allocation from Pirelli, you can understand why they've gone for that. They've got, I suppose, a certain amount of information about the circuit. Uh, they don't have to be as conservative as what they were at Portimao, where they had zip zero or very close to that, uh, even though it's been longer, I suppose, since a Formula One car went around Imola than it had Portimao. Um, the track surface just been re, uh, redone down at Portimao. So, uh, yeah, I'm um, good to see that they've gone a little bit less conservative in the hope that we might have a two-stop two race. Don't think it'll happen. But, you know, at least they're, uh, they're making the effort. But, uh, yeah, there we go. That's uh, looking forward to this weekend. And, of course, we'll have a wrap-up of everything that happens across that weekend. All the news. And, of course, the latest news to drop is that AlphaTauri have confirmed that Pierre Gasly, at least, will be driving in the AlphaTauri next year. I was only talking about this earlier. With uh, James Underhay, and yeah, he has been confirmed, but there's still that second seat that has yet to get a backside in it. Yeah, but of course, that does mean that uh, Pierre Gasly certainly not going to be stepping up to the senior team. So, who's it going to be? We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. We talked about it earlier. I know Kevin. Ma- I just love to see Kevin Magnuson in there. I know it's not going to happen, but a boy can dream, can't he? Hope you enjoyed the Pitbox podcast. Uh, tell people that you know about it if you like it. Of course, uh, no matter where you get your podcast from, Spotify, Apple, uh, give us a like, give us some stars and subscribe. We look forward to uh, doing it again and, of course, reviewing what happened this weekend and everything that plays out in the F1 field post the Emilia Romana Grand Prix when we get the Pit Box podcast underway again next week.